we looked at firmicutes to bacterial size ratios, um, specifically for the uh, the chemical treated birds and then the yeast product birds. And the ratio was lowered uh, for that yeast product bird. And we also looked for, or they also established that there were certain biomarkers, again, um, that were associated with, um, with positive, with improved performance. And so allostypes is one um, that specifically is associated with improved performance. And so you saw more mapping about with the samples that were taken from that yeast product uh, those yeast product birds, you found the, the mapping into the to be uh, a greater association with some of these um, principal biomarkers that are associated with improved performance. A whole new era of communication in the poultry industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global poultry industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Natural Biologics is looking deeper to find the natural solutions to your poultry health challenges. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Start your journey with us at Eastman.com. Welcome to the Poultry Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global poultry industry. Natural Biologics is using cutting-edge science to dig deeper into the poultry health challenges you face. By gathering scientific evidence, they identify the most effective combinations of natural ingredients that improve animal health. Visit naturalbiologics.com poultry to see the newest research in both turkeys and chickens. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Poultry Podcast. My name is Jason Emmert. And I'll be your host today as we visit with Dr. Kelly Walmsley, who is an associate professor in the poultry science department at Mississippi State University. Welcome, Dr. Walmsley. It's great to have you back on the podcast. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, looking forward to our conversation. And on your first uh, podcast with the group, I think you took us through your academic journey, kind of how you got to where you are. But I have kind of a twist on that I thought we might explore for just a second. And, and that is just to ask, what led you to academia? So what is it that made you want to uh, pursue an academic type of career? Sure. Um, well, um, not the money. <laughs> no, it's. Uh, I think it's. It, it's the. It's the fact. I felt. I feel like um, I had a lot of um, really great uh, teachers in my life, and um, you know, I just felt like it was kind of a way that I could give back. And I saw myself eventually, at least, going into academia. And um, first kind of going out there and trying to test the job waters, I was, you know, looked at some industry opportunities and then um, felt like, you know, really overall the best uh, fit for me would be going into academia um, right away, um, which is, you know, it's a little challenging whenever you're first coming from a 
uh, PhD program and then just jumping into academia. And I didn't do a postdoc or anything like that. And so um, there were some learning curves, but uh, there are with anything, right? Absolutely. That's right. <laughs> and I like the, the opportunity that I could um, teach, you know, some different classes, um, have this, the involvement with students and, um, and then be able to do a lot of different research and still have that impact on the industry. Absolutely. And I think you have, you have a lot of control over the direction that your career goes. And uh, it allows you a little bit of freedom to pursue things and also some time to develop and develop a research program and decide which direction you want to go. And, uh, but, yeah, for me, the teaching part is that's that's what drew me the most. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, I think it's also, you know, whenever you have, you know, it's, it's the people, too. Right. I mean, there's different feelings on different things. And, um, you know, it's um, just a t- the 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 people that are around you. And then, um, you know, whenever you have that, um, the support through, you know, good fit on the industry, on the, from the industry, you know, supporting the university or the department too, and then having those relationships, but then also throughout, you know, um, the other faculty that are there and um, just administration with the university, you know, there's all kind of timing on that, that kind of fit too that goes into play. And so I've been really thankful that I've had a, um, a really great group around me too. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I, I think looking at your uh, publication record, you've done some collaborative work with folks at other universities and that, that too, I feel like is a really exciting thing that we're seeing more and more. Everybody relying on their strengths. We don't all have the same resources, but we can all bring something to the table. Right. And that was one thing that was kind of interesting to me because I came from a, um, you know, an animal science department like you're in and um, didn't really have that much familiarity with like a, you know, just a poultry science group itself. And so that's also a very different dynamic and um, kind of, you know, I, I worked with Joe Moritz. He was my boss, Dr. Moritz um, at West Virginia. And and so he was everything poultry, right? <laughs> and extension and everything. It was a great opportunity for me because I was able to get my hands involved in a lot of different things. Um, but it was also really, you know, amazing whenever I came here to the poultry science department at state that, and then there's, you know, oh, reproduction. Oh, yeah. Let me just go down the hall and then talk to the reproductive physiologist, you know, that's an expert in poultry, you know. And so that's um, that's fun in itself also um, for me. But both have both sides of animal science and then also poultry science have their have their advantages for sure. They do. And I think the greatest advantage we have is this that we have each other to reach out to and collaborate and connect and that makes it exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, when you go to meetings and then you're, you know, I mean, it's, it really is like you're, you're just catching up with old friends um, from all over. And so I think that's what's so, so neat about, um, you know, our industry in itself um, that a lot of people outside wouldn't get. <laughs> that's right. That's right. They think it's about the chickens and it's not, it's about the people. Yeah. The chickens, the turkeys, all the poultry, it's important, but uh, the people, that's the core. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, great. Well, I think uh, I'd like to explore a little bit of some uh, some recent work that you've been involved in. I think looking at some yeast products and early broiler performance, uh, getting into the coccidiosis area as well. And so, yeah, if you want to get us started and kind of fill us in on some of that. 
Sure. So I'm no disease expert by any means. Um, but, you know, I, I think the one thing that I, I really like in, within my lab and um, we are we work a lot with, you know, industry and then also trying to do really um, relevant research. And so, of course, you know, um, coccidiosis is a, is a major, um, you know, problem in the industry and it's not going away. And um, and, you know, traditionally we've had chemical um, treatments and ionophores to be able to control that. Um, there's, you know, now live coccidiosis vaccines that um, are being utilized very often um, in the industry. And um, those certainly are all great tools to have in a toolbox. And just depending on your production, um, you're going to utilize one or multiple of those, right? Sure. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot of different, There, it's kind of overwhelming, a lot of different products out there and a lot of yeast products too. Um, and we, we work a lot with different companies and trying to kind of assess the, the best um, application that there could be um, for some of these products. And so, you know, recently I had two students, an undergrad and a graduate student that presented um, two projects with some yeast um, type products that are there in that coccidiosis trying to kind of help with that response and early performance um, that could be um, that to see how these products might be able to mitigate um, the coccidiosis. And so uh, we partnered with, um, with Natural Biologics and um, they have two different pro products that we, we worked with. So they're Previli Max product. That is a um, concentrated yeast cell wall um, components um, type product that's um, with a combined with a bacillus subtilis. And um, then we also worked um, with Provillus, which has a yeast probiotic and yeast uh, fermentation extracts um, and a probiotic and some other components, you know, mixed in with it. And um, so we wanted to test uh, their efficacy and compare them to um, a traditional you know, type program with a, a coccidiostat also. And um, so we, we use um, commercial broilers, Ross 708 birds, and, um, you know, to try to um, induce, uh, there's a lot of different ways um, to try to induce that coccidiosis um, to come into about, and, you know, we don't have um, we, our facilities right now. We're not really we haven't we don't have that type of facility that's always had coccidiosis in it. Um, we do um, utilize built up litter. We have two commercial houses um, that are adjacent to our poultry farm. And so we're contract growers for um, a company. And so a lot of times it gives us some flexibility so that we can kind of bring that we can bring that litter into our own facilities um, and give that kind of real world um, exposure to the birds that we're using on trial, which are going to be in a commercial type house. But of course, you know, with pens, um, similar to a lot of, you know, some other setups um, at other universities. But um, we don't, uh, you know, challenge with Imeria. Um we don't, we just use a live coccidiosis vaccine and we look at dosing um, the birds with a, you know, increased dose. So we looked at 10x dose 
at day 14 and then did um, OSIS counts and fecal collections from five to nine days um, when we were testing both of these um, different products. And um, looked at, so we looked at eggs per gram um, and then we looked at performance, of course, of the birds and um, did some lesion scoring. Um, we found that we were really effective in being able to challenge the birds. Um, we saw that in the, the treatments where we had challenged them with that 10x dose that they had more osis per gram um, in their in the litter. So that was good, right? You know, so many times when you're doing research, it's like you try to control for everything that you can. And sometimes it just doesn't No, I mean, that's why it's called research. Right? That's right. That is right. <laughs> um, but so it was interesting, um, you know, because we had uh, weights of birds from day 14 and uh, day 21, you know, we, we saw some differences in lesion scores, but there wasn't that really dramatic um, coccidiosis uh, a challenge that occurred. But that's also in part by design, right? I mean, um, you don't want to really, it wasn't the goal of a study of just really knock down those birds, um, but just have some kind of realistic um, subclinical type challenge um, for the birds. So it's really practical. Um, and so we found um, that performance was improved, um, similar to the chemical um, treatment of coccidiosat for both of those um, for both of the products that we tested, and um, and then we also found, which was interesting. So one thing, so one thing that we found was that performance was improved, at least um, similar to that of the the coccidiosat that we tested it against. Sure. Um, and we also found. Um, that our positive control, which was our non-challenge treatment, had the lowest osis counts. Um, so, like I said, good yes. on us. <laughs> we didn't have any contamination there. Our negative control, so our our um, our groups of birds that were challenged um, that had no kind of coccidiosis control, um, those had higher osis counts. Um, mm -hmm. So that. That's good. Yeah. And our chemical treatment um, had the lowest, um, similar to that of birds that were not treated um, or did not receive the, um, the, the did not receive our challenge. Um, so, you know, the chemical coccidiostat is doing what it's supposed to do, reducing osis in the litter, right? Um, OSHA shedding. And so, and then we find that um, with our yeast products, there was still an increase in the osis counts um, from the fecal um, collections. And that, that's not really, you know, when you think at first, you're like, wait a second, you don't want it to see increased, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, whenever you start thinking about how products work, right, its mode of action isn't similar to a chemical. Um, it's not supposed to just completely mitigate um, the, the, the Amiria species. Right. Um, and so you're modulating the immune system, right? You're changing things that are going on in, um, in the 
you're 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 altering you know the gut microbiome you're looking at um you're changing the morphology of the intestines and the immune function and so then you're going to have other impacts um to be able to uh, control those the and mitigate those uh, negative effects of coccidiosis and so that was interesting um uh, and just kind of you know of finding that and we also, with one of the, the products, um, with the Prevelis product, we actually did some microbiome testing um, also at day uh, 21. And so when we did that, so another thing that we added in with the Prevelis treatment was that um, we did some, uh, some swabbing to look at the microbiome because like I said, you know, we're looking to see what's happening within the bird and what's causing um, that, what's helping to improve the performance for birds that were given this subclinical um, coccidiosis infection. Um, and so we swabbed the birds on, did cloacal swabs on day 21 and um, the Natural Biologics partnered, um, they have a partnership with Alaris Animal Nutrition. And so they um, process those samples and use this AI platform um, to correlate and identify these uh, bacterial clusters and looking at how they may correlate to performance. And so they, um, have different data, they have different, um, they have a database, Alaris does, that has samples from um, other animals, so broilers and turkeys and swine. And so they're um, looking for some of these commonalities about where those clusters may, um, may also overlap with improved performance. And so what we found um, was that we had some very, some positive biomarkers uh, more associated in especially the chemical um, treatment, but then also in our um, Prevelis treatment birds. And so um, we had, and we had more positive biomarkers in the, probio in the yeast product treated birds than the chemical. And there were also um, several uh, genera that were associated with improved performance overall. And they have this, um, they, we looked at firmicutes to bacterial size ratios, um, specifically for the, uh, the chemical treated birds and then the yeast product birds. And the ratio was lowered uh, for that yeast product bird. And we also looked for, or they also established that there were certain biomarkers, again, um, that were associated with, um, with positive, with improved performance. And so allostypes is one um, that specifically is associated with improved performance. And so you saw more mapping about with the samples that were taken from that yeast product uh, those yeast product birds, you found the mapping into the to be uh, a greater association with some of these um, principal biomarkers that are associated with improved performance. And so, I mean, again, it gives a snapshot in time. And this is a microbiome. It's not my area. Um, you know, I'm feeding birds, but it's a neat experience to be able. I mean, that's where we're going to. And you know, every 
everyone's going into that um, world. And so it was good for us to get this first step into um, doing this type of research and the experience for the students. Um, and then also kind of be on the front end of helping um, to add to the data set. Um, because of course you have to have good data to be able to, and robust, right, to be able to make some of these clear connections with performance and these biomarkers. And so you're only as good as the data that you have um, and, and having some and being able to pr provide this uh, information. So that was, that was really unique for us um, and, and a great study. Um, and so we, were, we really enjoyed um, being able to do this work. Right. And it's in the starter phase. Right. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. so mm -hmm. We're still in the beginning, um, and you know we're we're looking to follow up and look at carryover performance, and then adding in you know other details on you know what happens with um, late cycling of coccidiosis um, potentially that's kind of associated with live coccidiosis vaccines. Um, so how can these products you know potentially mitigate those negative effects there? And then also, uh, you know, compensatory growth that may occur later on um, and looking at, you know, uh, processing parameters and then just the economics behind it all. And so we're really excited to be able to also kind of follow up the work and continue this on and look at, um, you know, other correlations that we may be able to find with performance and um, some of these biomarkers also at later ages. Yeah, great. It is a great um, a great start to that. And this is one of those areas I think that if you if you try to think of all the problems at once, every age and every situation, and it gets overwhelming. But you know, as scientists, you know, you have to stop and say, okay, what kind of plan can we implement to to take on these things one step at a time? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I think we um, we often get and I know I'm, I'm definitely guilty of this as we get so excited about one thing and then we're just trying to add in, add in, add in. And you definitely want to get as much mileage as possible out of a study. But sometimes just keeping it simple and kind of narrowing down your treatments and then, you know, looking at, you know, locking in on certain phases and then using the information that you gain from that to then apply to the next study. And um, then I think sometimes it's, it's a lot better idea to do that, um, just slowing things down and looking, just keeping things simple. Absolutely. And you've developed some good expertise in starter phase and finisher phase. You've done work in lots of different ages. And so you've got a great background to be able to tackle that at different stages of the process. That, that really helps. Yeah, it, that's, I mean, and that's one thing, you know, the, I mean, the starter phase is so important, um, you know, for all of our birds. I mean, that, you know, with the, the developments of, you know, genetics and the bird is growing faster and faster, um, that starter phase represents, you know, that such more and more, I think, of a key time to be able to capitalize on, you know, getting that bird off to a good start, laying that foundation, getting that microbiome established, um, the, the intestine morphology established so that you can really maximize the potential of the bird um, in, in, a, in the immune system and everything, right? Um, and so if you get that bird off to a good start, you know, you should be able to, you know, hopefully then the bird comes up to other challenges in the environment or management or whatever. And so um, 
or nutritional <laughs> challenges that may occur. Um, but then hopefully you're able to, uh, the bird's able to overcome that and you'll be able to get maximize your return. So, yeah. It's easy to see what happens to a house when it doesn't have a good foundation. And uh, to me, birds are the same way. Yeah, get off the, get a good foundation at the beginning, and then you're ready to tackle other things later. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a great analogy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned earlier um, AI, and I'll just be clear, we're, we're not talking about avian influenza, but the artificial intelligence. And I, <laughs> I'm hard pressed to think of an area, but there probably is one, but to think of an area where that could be more applicable than the microbiome because you're just dealing with such large numbers and variety of species. And AI to me can be so helpful in that. That's a, a great use of that technology. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it, it is really funny because my husband is in IT. Oh, and so he talks about AI all the time, but he's been talking about it for a really long time. And, you know, depending on what area you you're in it's either artificial insemination artificial intelligence <laughs> or avian influenza right yes. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it is nice that now we have um popping up ai in our conversation in the poultry realm and we're not just talking about avian influenza right <laughs> and i think it is going to be helpful as we consider all the variables starter phase and finisher phase and do you do you overfeed do you underfeed do you sacrifice this now to gain that later there's it's so complex ai found to be helpful absolutely i think um that i mean that's that's where we're going um absolutely in in a lot of different areas in our in the the poultry world or in animal ag and i think that's um you know we have to embrace that technology um because it's it is the future and um building those databases. Um, like I said earlier, you know, you're only as good as the data that you have. And the and, and so being able to um, control for, you know, all these various factors or being able to account for how the experimental conditions are and, you know, um, being able to plug in all those numbers and then being able to find that association that may exist there between um, uh, so many varieties of studies. I think it's it's really exciting. Um, it's it's daunting, right? Yes. <laughs> but it's it's really exciting, and that, I think that's also why it's so important that you know when we're conducting research that we're really looking at um, what we can you know control for. And also just documenting everything as much as possible. And just because you don't find, you know, a difference in a study doesn't mean that it's a bad or failed study. Oh, um, for sure. Yep, absolutely. And, and that's, you know, and I'm sure that you know this too, Jason, um, with, with students and running research. And then, you know, when you get to something and maybe you don't find as big a results, um, that's kind of where, you know, the students kind of get disappointed. <laughs> and, and, and they're like, what did I do wrong? It's you didn't do anything wrong. Let's look at this. We need to, to really look at what this could be because there could be other factors that are, you know, that we didn't think about or that we couldn't control for that then came in and impacted our data. And so that's why it's just so important to be able to kind of document every single little thing that you do. Yes. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And we, we use that term negative results. And, you know, I think in a lot of our minds, it just means we didn't see differences. But for a student, especially, they can take that word negative and twist it a little bit and think it's bad. Um, and yeah, not always, maybe even not usually the case. Is it bad? But it's still adding to our to our knowledge base. So very important. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and some of those things that you can learn from going back and looking at that can be more meaningful than a trial that's just uh, 100% slam dunk on be, being able to see things exactly what you want to see. It's like, I mean, you know, I mean, you could take in, for instance, some of the OSIS counts. I know that whenever um, one of my students was looking at that data and they saw that with the yeast product, the fecal OSIS counts went up compared to the chemical control and then they're thinking oh my goodness did I mess up did we have the you know it's no it's it's not the mode of action of that product and so you have to think about it um, from all sides and just because something some number goes up doesn't mean that it's always bad right but absolutely yeah think different things work differently and uh, the bird knows how to sort that out better than we know how to uh, analyze the results sometimes that's right yeah. and sometimes the birds just don't read the protocol but <laughs> oh for sure yeah they're bad about that we got we got to help them <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know maybe ai can help us with that too that's right. I did want to ask you, because you've done uh, a lot of great work with, with particle size, and that's really interesting. Do you, do you foresee any um, crossover with these areas that potentially there could be particle size um, advantages or disadvantages when we're using this product or that product? Um, yeah, is that something that, that you think might be in the future? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, in some of our early work, we looked at, um, we, we had a, a unintentional coccidiosis mm-hmm. challenge that occurred um, whenever we were doing some, some feed particle size uh, work. And so, um, and, and talking about more of the, um, the physical feed form rather than in, of the external, the external size of the feed right. rather than the internal particle size of yes. the feed, but the, mm-hmm. the size of the complete feed. Right. And, um, you know, we, we saw um, some interesting results there. Um, but of course, you know, when you're just looking at internal or, or just the ingredient particle size, there's a lot of data out there that kind of supports that, you know, increasing that um, particle size that you get increased uh, gizzard function and uh, hydrochloric acid secretion and, you know, that can be associated with improved gut health down the line. And, um, and so I think that, um, I mean, it is really complicated just thinking about how you're taking all of these different um, ingredients of various sizes and um, other physical characteristics. And then in the pelleting process, you're combining them together, right, and um, creating a pellet. And so a larger physical um, feed form. And then the pelleting process itself impacts some of those internal particle sizes. And um, we just did actually, uh, Dr. Birger Spihus, Mm -hmm. um, I just did um, two recordings with him for the the Poultry Black Belt Nutrition podcast. Shameless plug there, right? Right. Right. (laughs) But but that's just, and and we kind of got into some of this discussion because it's so interesting. Um, But I, I completely 
can see us moving in that direction of thinking about all of the particle sizes, internal and external, and um, then being able to also look at, you know, if if you combine some of these products um, into the feed also, if that can help, um, again, cause another layer or add another layer of potential protection um, to the birds. Um, and so, yeah, I think it, as we're moving forward, we're going to be... Um, I mean, we, we, I think it's only smart of us to look at all of these different factors. And I mean, even in looking at enzymes, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of work that's been done on the enzymes that you wouldn't necessarily maybe at first glance think about the impact that they could have on um, gut health and potential, um, you know, disease mitigation. Right. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating to me. And, and even sometimes you think about, okay, there's large particles and maybe the birds are pulling those out and they're playing with it. And, but then you might look and say, well, yeah, the feeders are too low. They're, they're playing in the feed too much. So there's even the, the really management kinds of variables that, that step in there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, yeah, so you can, um, yeah, the bird, the birds are going to do whatever they're going to do. Right. right. And then, um, you know, we're just trying to, to, to help them along the way. Um, but yeah, definitely management can be a challenge. And I think that's, you know, one thing that I really emphasize, especially with my students on when they're running research trials is that, you know, understanding the birds, um, you know, I know that uh, we had uh, went, uh, Tom Tabler that was an extension specialist, uh, you know, um, in our department. And he's uh, he's still an extension specialist, of course. And, you know, he would tell the students, you know, get that five bucket, five gallon bucket, you know, turn it upside down, sit in the house and just listen to the birds. And they'll tell you a lot from just listening. I mean, you can hear them hitting on the, the drinkers and you can hear them, you know, eating the, you know, feed and um, you can hear, you know, potential disease um, that can, that's coming through that flock too. Um, and so if you can understand and just have that handle on the management of the birds and the typical things that the, the birds are going to be doing, and you can kind of, again, it's helping control for some of those things that, um, can pop up in an experiment that you that aren't you know maybe related to nutrition or feed, but it's the management things that you need to be looking for. Do I need to change my ventilation or and how do I tweak it? Or you know, it's one thing to read a protocol and say, hey, we need to stick with uh, these these birds are supposed to be brooded at ninety two degrees, right? So if we set the thermostat at ninety two degrees or ninety degrees, then they're going to be fine. It's not always the case. No. <laughs> Nope. Yeah, the things that you can see, hear, and even smell. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Very, very important. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it doesn't take a book for that, you know. No. I mean, no. it's just it's just paying attention to surroundings and watching the birds and seeing what they what they need to do. Because if a, if a student comes out of my lab and doesn't know, you know, what a bird. <laughs> should look like in the brooding phase and what a, what a bird in heat stress looks like, especially in Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I haven't done my job at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what AI allows us to do in terms of uh, what we see here and smell, because certainly you can, you, you can detect all of those things using AI. So I think we're just in the early stages of, 
thinking about that. Yeah, absolutely. And then I know, you know, people are, you know, doing work and putting in, you know, microphones and chicken houses and, you know, and already cameras, of course, but being able to kind of link so many of these different factors that we're measuring. And, and that's where you're, you know, you mentioned too, Jason on, you know, collaborating with others, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert in, um, you know, I'm not an engineer, you know, I'm not an expert in some of these areas. And so then if you can collaborate with some of these others and, uh, you know, in computer science and look, <laughs> and, and then, and then, really maximize the potential of your data and your impact on the industry overall and ultimately the consumer <laughs> right that's right which we we have to keep in mind yeah that's very very important yeah Last kind of scientific thing I wanted to ask before we get to a little twist on the, the three questions, because you've answered those before, but um, your mindset uh, with regard to the starter period, uh, and I, I just sit here and wonder, should we consider um, rethinking what the starter period is, because it is encompassing a greater percentage of the overall grow out? Or are there just physiological things happening in that time frame that we need to kind of keep thinking of the starter period in the same length of time that we have been? Well, I think that's a great question. Um, I think that there's been research where people are looking at, um, you know, getting things started in the hatchery, right? Um, and putting, you know, some type of um, nutrient there in the hatcher or, and so we're in, you know, obviously we're already doing it in transportation whenever birds or, or chicks are transferred for a long period of time. Um, but, you know, then there's some, you know, focus that's been on pre-starter diets and um, then there's focus that's been not done on, you know, extending the starter phase even a little bit longer um, to try to help, you know, keep a consistent feed um, in front of the birds so that because at that time frame, maybe, you know, you know, early on in the first two weeks that the birds are going to have that disease challenge and coxie is going to hit. And so maybe if we extend that starter feed up out into 18 days, then um, we can make it past that. And the bird doesn't have enough, again, another challenge that could um, happen because, you know, the, the feed changes and then, you know, obviously then that's going to have an impact on, on the, the microbiome and, you know, everything that's going on in the bird. And so if they don't have that extra stress, when I guess also, you know, a feed form change from going from either a crumbled feed to a, a pellet or, um, you know, just depending on the feed quality that's there. Um, and so, I mean, that would be a really, I, I don't know that the research has been done to kind of compare something like that, but that's a really good um, thought, you know, on how, I mean, I, I think we need to be thinking about it. You know, starter feed form has been especially a, a big focus in our lab. Um, and I think the starter phase is absolutely really important. Um, it's always going to come down to cost, of course, right, and return on investment. Um, so we have to be cognizant about that. But yeah, maybe we need to be looking at that phase, um, starter phase a little bit closer and then thinking about, okay, well, what if we, you know, do do a pre-starter diet? What does that mean? The investment, you know, feed intake in that phase is low. So 
Um, if you have a feed mill that's not completely overwhelmed, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it makes sense. Uh -huh. um, yeah. But you know, they, and so you know, in that you know, in other areas across the you know the globe, they're trying all different types of um, uh, of different practices like that. And so, uh, I think that that is it's definitely something that we need to be looking into but I, I now you've given me a research idea too on some different things that we've been doing and kind of comparing them back and forth and so um again great great way to have this conversation and then be able to you know uh come up with different ideas <laughs> you bet well i think it's always going to be healthy for for us to ask is this the best way even if we end up in the long run sticking with that practice Always good to analyze and think about if there are other ways or other other angles to view it. Absolutely. If we get stagnant, then we're not moving forward, right? Um, and so, yeah, it, you have to ask why, you know? Just because something's always been done this way doesn't mean that it's the best, you know, it's the best way to do it. And, and sometimes it is the best way, but <laughs> like you said, but sometimes it's not. And it should be changed. And nobody just questioned it. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you bring up a great point. Yeah. It's time for our famous three. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. DSM, helping customers with efficient, sustainable poultry production. Ivonic Animal Nutrition, we are sciencing the global food challenge. AB Vista, offers pioneering products and technical services tailored to the poultry industry to help them succeed. Adiseo provides nutritional solutions and services to help producers achieve their targets in high quality, safe, and sustainable way. Your partner for improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt. Working with nature and not against it. Chickens fed AX3 Digest consume significantly less feed and water to produce one pound of meat. Successful flock performance is determined during the first 10 days post-placement. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible novel protein that most improved in barn performance, bird health, and a drier litter. For more information, visit www.protecta.com. Your partner in improving animal performance, Berg & Schmidt. They believe the following additives are necessary in the poultry dietary. Functional lipids for an efficient dietary energy management. Phospholipids for emulsification achieving a better nutrient intake. MCTs to provide energy and modulate the microflora within the intestines and enzymes for elevated use of fibrous materials and byproducts. Well, as we wrap up, um, we have the, you know, kind of the big three questions, but you've answered those before. So I was going to take just the angle of, um, you know, any updates to that. If you think about any poultry related resources, um, anything that you're finding particularly useful kind of in the, in the recent past here. Oh, mm, um, I would say that just, you know, getting regular updates on, you know, the literature that that's coming out in new, um, you know, the emails that you get from, you know, General Applied Poultry Research and Poultry Science and Animal Feed Technology and just looking at, you know, here, here are the most recent articles that are there. And just even if they're not in your area, um, looking at those articles and um, just to, 
to also expand your knowledge. Um, those uh, I'm always trying to look at. And of course, all the popular press articles that come through just to be able to kind of know what's going on in the world um, of poultry and related um, areas. Because and sometimes you don't think that, you know, some things going on across the globe are going to impact you. Um, and so, and that, and that's what I encourage my students to do, especially whenever they're asking, where do you, where do I get poultry information or how did you know that? And I'm like, you need to sign up for as much, you know, as possible on some of these popular press, you know, articles, um, uh, and, and resources and just even just glancing through, you know, some of those updates can be really beneficial. Yeah, that's um, great so I guess that's kind of, yeah, one way that I kind of stay up to date on things. Um, and just talking to the people around you too. That's right. Yeah, there's no substitute for that, in my opinion. That's so, so helpful. Yeah. Well, great. Well, when we think about another book or resource, um, I think earlier uh, when you were on the podcast, you talked about some podcasts and some even some music you got into. So I was just going to ask any any new podcast, any new music you've kind of stumbled onto that you'd want to share? I don't know. You, you know, we we processed birds yesterday in my group and um, I always have a playlist. And so um, uh, one <laughs> There's certain songs that always come on that, and that one song came on and my student was like, I think we listen to this every processing. I'm like, yeah, it's a great song. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think it's, it's, uh, it's called Paper Planes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and so I, I really like that song. It's really catchy. But that, so that's not a new song. But um, yeah, I like, I just like to... Uh, keep music on and I mean you could come into my office and I'll have dubstep on sometimes and it's just it could be it's a variety of things I want something that just kind of kind of help but I really um another thing I like to listen to just in general or um any of those any of the music that's kind of the classical spin on uh today's hits you know kind of um so like vitamin string quartet and um piano guys so that you don't have the lyrics but you have the music and the tune and so it's easy to kind of focus and um still have those i like that kind of music but um always playing music for sure me too the silence drives me crazy i can't take yeah, it absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah You're good um and books i don't um find your fierce is a book that um i'm recently been um, finishing up. And so that was something uh, that it's, it's a book written by Teresa Sandy. And um, I had opportunity to meet with her. Um, and so that was that opportunity was um, provided through Novus, actually, that they had a, um, a women's type retreat, they have a group that they have, um, it's called the flock. And so um, we meet at different um, different poultry meetings. Um, I missed, I wasn't at Arkansas Nutrition Conference this week, so I missed out on meeting with the ladies in that time. Um, but it was, 
it's a it's a neat group, but they brought us together and um, gave us the book Find Your Fierce. And so I've I've bought several copies that I've given out to some of my students too. And it talks about imposter syndrome and things like that. And it's a really great um, book. And she gives some exercises in it on you know what to do and. Um, you know, finding your own group around you and then not always looking at somebody who's going to not always getting the information from somebody who is going to just agree with you and trying to find somebody who's going to challenge you a little bit. But you also have to think about it, where that challenge, where that opinion's coming from. Is it coming from a good place or a bad place? And what do you do with it? Yep. You know? Yep. Well, that sounds like a great one to check out. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last part of it, um, typically the question is kind of broader advice for, for success. But I, I wanted to kind of circle back to the very beginning and just see if you have any targeted advice for students considering an academic career. Sure. Um, I think that you... Anybody that wants to get into academia, it's the... I think that the... the Everything, I mean, it's, well, the industry's changing, everything changes, right? The landscape of the university changes, the students change from season to season, right? Um, and so I think it's just um, talking to the people around you. Um, and if, if you find yourself in a position where you're a new faculty member in a department or something, you know, get to know the students for sure, um, but get to know the faculty. Um, and don't be afraid to ask questions. <laughs> and yeah, and um, and even just you know getting to know the industry there. Even if you're not, depending on your level, I mean, just being able to have an appreciation for everything that's being done um, and how and thinking about your story because that's a really important thing about how you can turn the research that you do in making it into a story. And, um, and, and that's what the, the greatest, you know, scientists do. Right. Um, and, and being able to give that message to, um, to anybody so that they can take it. And, and so that's just, you know, seeing the people around you and, um, just get in getting feedback and listening to it. And even if there's feedback that's, negative or whatever, you know, I mean, sometimes th there's some really good information in there. It just, the delivery maybe wasn't the right way or whatever, but just being open to that, um, I think is important. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. I mean, it really is. And, and yeah, talking to people, recognizing all of the different groups that you can interact with and still learn from. Sometimes you know, we, we finish that PhD and we think, I guess now we're supposed to know everything. And no, it's just now you're supposed to want to continue learning. That's absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We're all lifelong learners, that's right? right? That's right. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us again. We really appreciate you taking the time and uh, sharing your thoughts and knowledge about all the wonderful research you have going on. I think your, your students are lucky to have you there at Mississippi State, and we appreciate you being part of this big poultry industry, poultry world that we're all a part of. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate you just asking me to join you today. And it's been a really great visit. Always great to see you. You too. You too. And thanks to everyone out there for listening. Uh, and we hope to catch you listening to us again. Thanks a lot.